Amen. Thank you, Caleb. Team, you can have a seat, and our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station, make their way down to the club. Uh, let me welcome you to the gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of our pastors here, and I'm uh, really thankful that each one of you are here to worship with us today. Uh, so whether uh, you've been around for a while, we're still thankful that you're here. But if you're brand new to Redemption, we're especially thankful that you are able to join us. And I uh, would love for you, if you would just take a moment to fill out the connect card that's on the worship guide that you received when you came in to let us know that you were able to come. If you'd rather do that uh, digitally, then you can go to rhc.church forward slash cc, and you can fill out that information online. And we'll just send you a message throughout uh, this week thanking you for worshiping with us, and I hope you get connected in any way that maybe uh, you feel led to do so. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. So if you would uh, open up your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, it's at the beginning of the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, um, kind of in the back half of the Bible, And we're going to look at a story that Jesus told there. And uh, before we get into that, um, there was a really relevant uh, story in our own city that happened uh, this past week um, with with a a lady from Medford, all right? Um, That's where we live, by the way. It's not Medford, uh, at least to people who grew up here. It's a Medford. So uh, a lady from Medford uh, was in Arlington, and she was, I mean, it's a beautiful fall week, right? I mean, anyone enjoy the weather this week? Just amazing. And so she was going to Spy Pond, and apparently as she was backing into her spot, uh, maybe rather than hitting the brakes, she hit the gas. Uh, Police aren't quite sure yet, but you know where this story is going. Her car went over the curb and went into the pond. Now, I don't know how this works, but there was actually, you know, I I do guess I do know how it works. We always have a phone on it, right? Someone takes out their phone and starts videoing this. Thankfully, I don't know if that person's a good Samaritan, like they just decided to video rather than jump. But thankfully, there were two good Samaritans uh, in the vicinity riding on their bikes. They see it happen, and they go immediately to the pond. One jumps in. You can see him swimming out to the car that's slowly getting deeper and deeper, and they're screaming to her, get out of the car, get out of the car. Not sure why she can't get out at this point, but you can hear the man as he's swimming saying, go out the back window, go out the back window. So the car is going progressively under the water. The man gets there on the passenger Rear door opens it up as the car is starting to do a nosedive down. And he's saying, you got to get out. You got to get out. And the car goes down and the woman is not out of the car. Fifteen seconds transpire. And all of a sudden, this lady pops up and surfaces, you hear someone on shore say, there she is, and this man goes over to her, gives her a cushion, and pulls her into the shore. Now, you can actually see that online because of this wonderful person who was videoing the experience, but it was a rescue story right here in our midst. And as we think about 
who Jesus is and what he's about and what Christianity is all about, at its, its essence, it is a rescue mission. This is what Jesus tries to explain to some people that really didn't get that uh, in this parable of what we're going to look at today, the lost sheep. I mean, that was a riveting, okay, a riveting, dramatic scene that, again, you can go watch later, but I would argue that this scene, this story of God becoming man to live a perfect life, die in our place, rise from the dead, dead, that we might be rescued, it is even more riveting and dramatic, of course, than that. So uh, what I want to do is this. I want to read uh, just these first seven verses. We'll, we'll read the first two, hit pause, I'll explain a couple things, and then we'll read through uh, verse seven. So uh, this is what Luke records. Luke 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. All right, so, so let's just pause real quick. Right? These first two verses set the tone for the entire chapter that follows. All right, what we have in Luke 15 are three of the most famous parables, okay, stories that explain spiritual realities. They are three of the most famous parables that Jesus ever spoke with the third one, the parable of the prodigal son being perhaps the most famous parable Jesus ever told. But what we might do unintentionally is kind of go straight to the story, miss verses one and two, and potentially miss the heart and the point of the story, okay? So, so what's going on here is there's really great news, all right? Verse one is great news, that God, who is perfect, hangs out with imperfect people, okay? Jesus kind of turned the thinking of the religious leaders, okay, it's kind of like this holier-than-thou attitude. He kind of turned that upside down because he went to hang out with people that no one else wanted to hang out with, all right? Like people that were tax collectors. What's the big deal about tax collectors? Well, you know, no one enjoys paying our taxes, right? But we would especially not enjoy paying our taxes to a tax collector that would swindle and steal from you, okay? So like no one wanted to deal with tax collectors and no one wanted to hang out with, you know, uh, prostitutes and, you know, uh, just kind of the, the, the worst of the worst in terms of kind of moral society. Um, that's why some translations actually have this word sinners in quotation marks because the point is they were sinful people from the viewpoint of these leaders. In fact, the point is we're all sinners and we all need a lot of, lot of help from God, all right? So, so the good news is that Jesus hangs out with people like that, like us. But the, the, the disappointing news is that there were these people who had a problem with that, and that was the real problem going on here, okay? Uh, these religious leaders said, you know what, Jesus, like if, if you were really who you say you are, if you were really living, uh, you know, according to God's standards, you wouldn't hang out with people like that. And so Jesus, as he often did, 
used a story. In fact, he used a set of three stories to answer their, what did it say, grumbling about this. I mean, can you picture the scene? Like Jesus hanging out with people, no one, and there are people that are grumbling about it and saying bad things about Jesus. And so he tells these stories to make his point. Okay, pick up in verse 3. It says this. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What I want to suggest to you today that this story Jesus tells is arguing is that, number one, there is no greater joy in life than knowing Jesus and experiencing the life that he died to bring us. But on top of that, with that, there is no greater joy. We can experience no greater joy than when we share that greatest joy of knowing Jesus. So at Redemption Hill, we started last week, we'll be, for a couple more weeks, we'll be thinking about what it looks like to live our lives with a more-than-me attitude. We remembered the words of Jesus from Matthew 10 last week where he says this, Freely you have received, okay? You freely received in your life, so then you turn around and freely give. And so if Jesus has brought us his joy, if you know Christ in that kind of way today, then the appeal to you and to me is to then freely give that joy away for the sake of other people. So I want to give us two ways that we can wrap our, our minds around that today, okay? Uh, number one, uh, we simply talk to others about Jesus to increase our joy, all right? Talk to others about Jesus to increase our own joy. Now, I was thinking about this last night, right? I never, I've never read this in a commentary. I've never heard this in a sermon. I don't think. Perhaps I have, okay? But, but I've never just heard it put like this, and, and I think it, it kind of light bulbs go off, right? It helps me understand, okay? What's happening in Luke 15 is that Jesus is essentially saying to these people who should have known like the ways of God and what God wanted from all of our lives, he's basically looking at them and he's saying, you know what? You don't understand me. You don't get me. You don't know my heart. That's why you're over here grumbling. Now, Jesus doesn't say it like that, you know, and kind of this like very, uh, it may have come across, I hope not, but, but maybe a strong way, I suppose he may have, but not in like an arrogant kind of prideful way because Jesus is saying like, you don't understand me, but I really want you to understand me. You don't understand my heart and consequently you don't share my heart, you don't have my heart, but I want you to have my heart. 
And so that's why he tells these stories. So my working assumption this morning, and I'm speaking as one of you, all right? One of you. My working assumption is that to varying degrees, we all need our hearts to become more like the heart of Jesus. Now, how do we do that? How do we go about that? Well, uh, the, implicit, the, the implicit argument here is that when, when people find Jesus, they find joy. Like when people realign their life with the life that God intends for them in the very beginning, they're going to find that everything they could have ever hoped for or dreamed of is given to them through Christ. There's no greater joy than knowing him. And you say, well, like, so Tanner, you're saying talk about him and increase your own joy. Like, so, so can we bring people this joy? And I would say, absolutely not and absolutely. So that's confusing. Uh, like, so, so like we, like Jesus spent time with them and they experienced joy through knowing him. Like people are not just because of who we are, they're not going to find salvation. But like as we represent Christ and shine the light of Christ and are the presence of Christ to people and as we communicate who he is and introduce people to Jesus, then we can have the opportunity of leading people into joy. That is what we have the immense responsibility to do and that is what we have the immense privilege and opportunity to do. So if, if, you're, if you're like me, when it comes to this idea of Jesus didn't just give you life and me life so that we can kind of sit on our hands and absorb it all for ourselves, but he actually says, freely you have received, freely give, like introduce others. If this is so good, then you should probably naturally just want to talk about it, like not just a little bit, but a whole, whole lot. Um, then um, how, can we, how can we do that? Because for me, oftentimes, to talk to others about Jesus feels more like a chore than um, something that I am just really looking forward to do. It feels more like something I have to do versus something that I get to do. And so the beautiful part of this story is that obligations can turn into celebration. You hear that? Like what we're obligated to do becomes something that we actually are so excited about that we are entering into celebration even as we do that. Does anyone, does anyone track with me? Like, does anyone maybe believe that? Like, I'm just praying that we would believe that today because if we let joy motivate us, then we are going to be totally different as we seek to point people to who Christ is and what he's done for us. So joy, as we see, is all over this little story. Um, here are just a couple of reasons I would say that, okay? Number one, if you just look at the story, the story starts in verse 4, it ends in verse 7, and sometimes you can just kind of glean what is important by, you know, how much space is given to the topic, okay? So, um, you know, we can even see that in the political campaigns these days, all right? Like, issues are not very important, right? Because nobody's talking about issues. Um, so, um, we can just kind of see that. And uh, here, 
verse 4 is very, very important, right? It tells about what's happening and the search for the sheep. But 5, 6, and 7 talk about the result that comes from the search for that sheep that isn't home with the other 99. So verse 5 says that when he found the sheep, he rejoiced and brought it home. But then verse 6 says, not only is he rejoicing, but he's so excited. And when we're truly joyful over something, usually it doesn't stop with us, but it spreads through us. So when he gets back home, he calls his friends and neighbors and he says, look, I'm rejoicing. I'm celebrating. And I know you're happy for me because of what has happened. So why don't you come into this joy and celebration as well? But then verse 7, verse 7 says, not only does this joy happen here in this realm, but joy happens in the heavenly realm as well. So we can look at the space that is devoted to the topic, and we can see that joy and celebration are central to the story, right? And and you remember what I said, like verses 1 and 2, like if we don't understand those, we're not going to understand the rest, right? Because Jesus is answering what? He's answering their grumbling and their complaining about his actions. And he's saying, look, if you really understood the heart of God, you wouldn't be grumbling, you would be celebrating. And then this, not only the space, but we see what some scholars refer to as the rule of end stress, okay? So, so this is basically, we all understand this. Every story has a climax, Right? And the climax usually happens at the end of the story, right? So at the end of this story, it's all about what happens as a result of this sheep being found and brought home is that there's massive celebration. And this is not true only in verses 5 through 7, but we can look back at the parable of the lost coin. Look at verse 8. There's the story. Now verse, verse 9. When she found it, she calls her friends together and she says, Rejoice with me for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, who turns around, who changes their mind, who changes their heart, and has God do that for them. So now we're, now we're two for two. Rule of in stress, parable of the sheep, parable of the coin. What about this son that uh, we have maybe heard before? Or if you're new to Christianity, I would really encourage you to read the rest of this chapter sometime uh, this week. We see then the very last verse, verse 32, where the narrative says, the father says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. Joy is the climax here. Joy is the topic Joy is what should motivate us to come to Christ and to live for Christ and to serve Christ and to share Christ with as many people as we possibly can because this is so good and so true and so transforming. So joy is written all over the story. And one important detail in this, I want you to think about this, all right? I think I thought about this, um, you know, story in not a wrong way, but just in a uh, maybe truncated way or kind of shortchanged the story because uh, Jesus talks about the, the rejoicing in heaven, right? And he talks about the rejoicing of the angels in heaven, right? 
So I kind of get this picture, like, you know, the angels are in heaven and they're doing cartwheels, you know, maybe like a little high five or a shoulder bump, you know, and, uh, you know, can spirits do that? We'll pretend that they can, all right? But the point is, like, they're very, very excited about what's going on in heaven, but why? Why do the angels rejoice? Why is heaven lifted? Because God is rejoicing. God is celebrating. God is elated when someone who was lost finds their way home because, well, as the parable of the prodigal son shows us, even this shepherd story shows who shepherd imagery always is pointing us to God. God goes and pursues them and brings them home. And when that happens, there is immense celebration that is going on because that is the heart of God. So here's just a, a thought and a suggestion for us. I believe that telling the story of Jesus, we... we we call this evangelism. The word evangelism, just um, the, the word evangel is, comes from the word gospel, and the word gospel means good news, and good news is all about what Jesus has done and who he is, okay? So there you go, right? So as we think about telling others about Jesus, probably to get there more and to make that happen, we just need to pray like, God, give me your heart here. If, if that's your heart, that that would, that would cause you to erupt with joy, then God, make me thrilled over what makes you thrilled. And consequently, God, if you're broken over it and you're weeping tears like Jesus does as he looks over the city of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 9 and he looks with compassion, then maybe I just need to pray more like, God, give me your compassion. Give me your brokenness. Give me your anguish. Give me your heart. There is joy that is set before us. Let that be the motivator. Paul said it really well in 1 Corinthians 9, and he's like basically telling this whole deal about why he shares the gospel. He doesn't share the gospel because he's getting paid to share the gospel. He just shares the gospel because it is what is burning inside of his heart because it is the most important. Like it was the most important thing to Jesus. It's the most important thing to Paul. And so Paul, at the very end of that, check this out, right? Don't miss him. I want to write this down. He says at the very end, he says what? I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that what? I may share with them in its blessings. Now, whoa, 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 Paul, no, no, no. You already have it. Why aren't you saying that they might share with you? Because Paul read or heard the story of the parable of the lost sheep. Because Paul had God's heart. Because Paul understood that when someone experiences the joy of Christ, then he is brought into that same joy. That's amazing, my friends. That's amazing. And that is not only amazing, that is highly, highly, I hope and pray, highly motivating. So, so that's the goal. That's the motivation. Talk to others about Jesus to increase our joy. This is for us, right? But then number two, and this kind of gets then to the nuts and bolts of, of how we go about this, okay? Um, relentlessly pursue others to bring them 
home. Look back at verse 4. I think it's so beautiful how Jesus starts. And Jesus was, was so wise and so inviting in how he talked to people and persuasive. He just starts out and he says, what man of you? Like in other words, he's making a, a case here. He's presenting a logical argument. And he's saying like, if, if any of you had 100 sheep and you lost one, which one of you is not going to go and find the one and bring it back home? And to answer with integrity, they would have to say, like, all of us would do that. And so, again, that's just like my job today is to say, like, if Jesus really is God and he really died for us and he really rose again, like, people don't do that, by the way, um, then this is the greatest news we could ever hear. And if it's the greatest news we could ever hear, it's the greatest news that we could ever share. Just a few weeks ago, uh, our kindergartner, her name is Kessid, right? That's with a D on the end, uh, if you're writing it down. Um, she, she, she came home from school, and she was so excited, all right? Now, like, sometimes she's angry because she didn't eat all of her lunch, all right? She just has that hangry problem, you know, just like we have to feed her, and then she kind of levels out. Um, but, but anyway, she was excited, and I said, Kessid, way to go! I heard you got your first Brooks B at school today. Now you're like, what is this? Okay, Parker and Kessa go to the Brooks Elementary School, all right? When the kids practice good behavior by being cooperative and being safe and being kind and being peaceful, then the teachers kind of take note of that and they have incentive programs and so they reward the students with Brooks Bs, okay? So, so, Kessid received a Brooks B apparently for like standing in line in a peaceable way and not, you know, uh, jumping out or causing too much commotion, which is pretty amazing. Um, but, but anyway, so it was a really cool moment for her, you know. And, and about an hour later, we're in the car, and it's really cool because it just dawns on her. She says, hey, Daddy, um, how did you already know that I had received a Brooks B. And you know what I taught? I said, um, Kessid, because when something good happens, word travels fast. Right? When something, when something good happens, word travels fast. So how about it? Like Redemption Hill? If something good has happened and we've experienced that good, then how fast is the word traveling? Relentlessly pursue others to bring them home. How do we, how do we go about this? I want to introduce a concept to you that uh, we call, we borrow this from a church in New York City. Um, they've used it, and I think it's a very uh, effective way to think about it. Um, it's called evangelistic networking. Now, now what is that? Evangelistic networking simply leverages friendship as the basis for conversation about Jesus. Okay? So, so let me just be really kind of straightforward and blunt, okay? I think because this is the greatest news, there is a place for maybe you don't have a deep relationship with someone. Maybe, in fact, you just met them for the first time, but you're able to strike up a conversation and you can get to Jesus on the first conversation of the first time you met someone. And I think we should be doing that if this is the greatest news, okay? But in our culture, and I think you would probably agree with this, um, 
Most of the time for people to absorb the message of Jesus and process and consider this this overarching story and how they might fit into that story, it's not going to be the first conversation or the fourth conversation or the seventh conversation. In fact, if there's not some credibility in the relationship that this person really knows me and cares about me, then I'm probably just going to view them as weird and crazy and tell them to get lost. That's why it's so important that we would take our relational spheres, our relational networks, and we would leverage our family relationships and our geographic neighborhood. Think about your neighborhood here. That we would leverage our vocational relationships, your workplace, and just any, really any relational network that you have, whether that's where you shop, all right, where you pump your gas, or where you have your gas pump for you around here, um, you know, uh, where, the parks that you go to, the workout place that you, you know, trying to get swole, um, we all have relational networks. So then how do we seek to build relationships in a constructive way to naturally, I want to say naturally, and prayerfully winsomely present Christ in in an everyday conversation. And so here are just five principles that, that I think are essential to Evangelist Network. I hope you'll write them down, okay? Number one, know the gospel drives mission. All right, I want you to consider two words here, okay? Number one, devotion. All right? The closer we get to Jesus, the more that we will care about those who are far from him. All right? The more we walk closely with Jesus, the more we will naturally, dare I say, reflexively talk to others about him. Like, like this is, okay, this is normal Christianity. All right, the whole story of the Bible is about who God is and how we as people can be brought back to God in a relationship with him. So Jesus says, look, if you want to know why I came, we can flip over a few more chapters. Luke 19 verse 10 says that I, Jesus speaking of himself, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. In other words, I came to bring people back home to God because they had wandered away from him and they had done their own thing and they had lived according to their own wisdom. They had sinned and rebelled against God, and that sin separated them from him. Not only physical death one day, but spiritual death now. And so we need the life of Christ that he died to bring, to to be infused into our hearts to bring us back home. That's why Jesus came. So like, if that, here's just a logical kind of thought process. If that is what's most important to Jesus, then like, should it not be most important to us? This is not like an optional extra. This is not for, ready for this, this is not for gifted people in evangelism. Like, I don't even believe in that. So hold on, Tanner, like Ephesians 4, pastors, teachers, evangelists. So it's like God has gifted certain people to do a great job, not only at evangelism, but equipping the church to do that well. Does that make sense? So, so, so the thought process is not like a few people are really good at this and so they go do that. 
But the thought process is, hey, this is everyone's job. These are the last words of Jesus when he uh, left his followers and he said, look, you, like, you take what you've received and you go give it. You go make new disciples, new followers of me. So devotion will get us there. The heart of Christ will get us there. But then uh, number two, only devotion, desire. And just, just real quick, I just want to say this. And again, this is, this is for me as, as much as it is for you. We need to desire that people would come to know Christ more than we desire our own comfort and our own approval. We understand that for many of our friends, although they are our friends and although we anticipate them still remaining our friends and hopefully even becoming better friends because we've actually lived authentically. And like, here's one thing that, that a pastor in the south side of Boston says that I just, I, I really appreciate. Um, he, he says, look, uh, friends talk about what's important to them, Right? Like to have a meaningful friendship, like if you don't share what's most important to you, then there's something inauthentic about that friendship. So that said, we know that it's uncomfortable. We know that not everyone, in fact, a lot of people, um, they really don't want to hear about Jesus because of maybe a lot of misconceptions or, or assumptions um, or maybe some bad experiences with the church or Christians or maybe, maybe even, you know, us. Um, but what love compels us to do is to love them more and to want them to experience who Christ is more than I want to experience my own comfort or their approval. So love moves us past those awkward moments, right? Like it's, sometimes it's awkward, you know what I'm saying? Like as smooth as we want to be and as natural and as we're talking about this or that and it's relevant to our faith, um, sometimes it's just a little awkward and we just need to kind of push past that. So devotion and desire, the gospel drives all of that. The gospel is not just the message we present, but the gospel frees us up to share with humility, but also with joy because of what God's doing in our heart, right? So it's not like, hey, I've got the truth and you don't, and now you just need to come up to my level. It's just, man, I am, I am just as messed up as you. Um, you know, maybe don't start with that. That wasn't very smooth. See, it's, it could be awkward. Um, but but you, get the, you get the point, right? You get the point that, that the gospel is moving us forward, okay? Number two, then the encouragement would be pray for three to five people in your relational networks, all right? Know the gospel drives mission, but then pray for three to five people in your relational networks. Okay, I don't have to explain this again. We all have these relational networks. So who is it that maybe God brings to your mind that you care about that you would say, you know what? I want them to experience this greatest joy that I've experienced. And I'm just going to start by praying for them. I'm going to look at the places that I, that I go throughout the week. And, and that, that guy that serves me coffee at, at Dunkin' Donuts, um, I'm going to pray for him, and I'm hoping that, you know, sometime when I'm just hanging out and he's on a break or whatever, that I can get to know him. And maybe it's not even the first conversation or the second or the third conversation that, that we're getting to Jesus. I'm just here, man, look, what's your story? What's you up to? What are your dreams in life? And the, the questions are 
often, usually in a normal conversation at least, they're reciprocated, right? And so there are opportunities to, to humbly engage people in these relational networks. Number three, invite people into our lives and the life of our church. All right, so, so ch- check this out. Um, here, here's just a question. How much time do you spend with people who don't yet know who Jesus is? Like, just think about your week. Think about your calendar. Because, I mean, on the one hand, like, we live in Boston, and there are many, many people who don't yet follow Christ in the way that we understand he's calling us to follow him. And yet, like, the more that we build friendships with other Christians, which is great, and we should, then we can gravitate to that which is comfortable, as we just said. And what is comfortable is hanging out with friends who are like us and and, and doing what we do and having the same values. And so, again, Sean Sears, my friend, he says this, it's easy to impress someone from a distance, but you've got to be close to impact them. And then he goes on to say this, and and maybe this hits home, okay? Christians who, don't miss these words, self-identify as mature are typically not as interested in hanging out with people who don't know Jesus. Self-identify as mature. Because the picture of a mature Christian, like, We have the name of Christ. Christ's mission was to bring people in. If we're not bringing people in, then how mature are we? How mature am I? So so, so this, like, again, the picture in the parable is search until you find, right? Go out until you find. So this kind of whatever it takes mentality, this relentlessness means that, look, we're going to plan for this. We're going to be intentional. We're going to put this on our calendar. We're going to take a vacation day if we have to. I mean, that's really crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would anyone take time off of work, sacrifice some money just to like, we shouldn't have to do that, right? But if you have to do that, I'm saying, man, I'll buy your lunch that day to offset some of the costs that you expect. Like, we need to be willing to have this kind of mindset to go after this mission. Number, number four. Actually, let me back up. Not only invite them into your life, invite them into the life of our church, right? So we have all these different, we call pathways into the life of our church. We have groups, and we have teams, and we have events, and we have Serve Medford efforts, and we have soccer nights. And it's like, you know what? Uh, come on Sunday. So you're like, you don't have to do all of the work, right? You, you invite people into what's happening, and they start to experience more of the community of Christ and what Christ is all about through people. And, and just, oh, by the way, usually how it works for people is that they belong to a community before they actually believe in Christ and and, and trust him as their savior. So you're going to hear a couple stories later, and and really uh, it took some time for these friends to to believe in the way they believe now, um, and they belong to the community. And I could tell you story after story after story of people who have hung out in our midst as a church, and then they decided, hey, Jesus is legit, and I'm going to follow him. 
You don't have to do all the work. Invite people into the life of our church. Now, number four, and this is where, this is where it really happens, okay? Tell your story and the story. So, so number one, like if, if you have come to faith in Christ, then you, you definitely know your own story. You know how that happened. And you can just tell people, hey, look, you know, uh, I grew up in church. That's my story. But, you know, it took a, a while for me to understand what Christ had done for me on the cross. And that became personal. And I saw that I needed that. Okay, so that's my story. You have a different story. I'm just saying we can all tell our own story. But not only do we have to think about it in those kind of restrictive terms of the kind of initial stages, but here, just let me ask you this question. How is the gospel changing you this week? Like, is the gospel giving you a little more patience? Is the gospel freeing you from worry in your life? Is the gospel leading you to serve others with your abilities? Like we talked about, I hope so. We talked about that last week. Um, So like, now everything that you do has the mark of Jesus. And so whatever you're doing, you can actually get to the gospel because Jesus is all up in your story, right? Yes. Tell your story and tell the story. And, and I'm not going to take a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time. But a little tool that we use is called the three circles. And it just says, look, God has a design for his world There is a lot of brokenness in our world. No one, I have not met one person, even the most militant atheist, I have not met one person who would say there's not brokenness. They would just have different explanations for the brokenness. But the Bible says that this brokenness is a result of sin. The only way that that can be corrected is not through like better education, ultimately, or a better government, thank you, um, or, you know, but it's through Jesus and the restoration project that he lived and died and rose again to bring so that if we would repent and believe in him, which is what this story is all about, someone who turns back to God after walking away from God, when that happens, we can what? Recover and pursue God's design. And so the beautiful part of this is that as we understand this framework, we can get to the gospel again from any brokenness under the sun, and there's a lot of brokenness in our lives and around us, as well as anything that is right in the world, right? Because that's the way it ought to be. That's the way that God designed it. Don't you want in on that? So we tell our story and the story, and then finally, I would just, I would just encourage all of us, don't go at this alone, all right? Man, I don't want to go at this alone. I want to display the gospel in community. I want you to encourage me, and I want to encourage you. Because when we do it together, we will most certainly do it a lot better. And it will actually be a lot more fun in the process. So let me, let me close with this. On a scale of 1 to 10, I, I actually, let me just be full disclosure, I don't like these questions. Scale of 1 to 10, I don't really like them, but I'm going to ask you today because it's marginally helpful, hopefully very helpful um, for you, okay? On a scale of 1 to 10, how deeply do you desire to see people come to faith in Christ? How deeply do you desire to see people found in Christ? Just, you can make a mental note or you can write on a piece of paper, but, but then that, that's one part. Then the second part, how willing are you to do something about it? 
If God has brought his joy to us and it's our job to freely give the joy that we freely received, then there needs to be some grace from God to infuse our lives, to help us in our failings and our shortcomings in this area so that we can take steps forward to pray, to care, to spend time, and to converse with people who have yet to know this joy that Jesus brings us. So here's what I'm going to do. I've never, ever done this before. John Chastine, uh, who's been with uh, me from the very beginning when we planted this church, started this church, uh, he doesn't know about this, and he can affirm it's never happened. Here's what I want to do, because this is, this, is, this is something that God has pricked my heart on in my own personal life, but even in the life of our church, that, that I, I'm desperate to see us move forward in this joy project. Okay, Here's what I want you to do. If you would say, I want to move forward, here are four different ways that you can do that. Okay, so I have put my personal cell phone number up here right now, all right? And I am praying, I am praying that when I start praying in a minute, that my phone starts blowing up. It's back there on the table, okay? So if you would say, look, I need some encouragement. I actually started a Facebook group. It's called Upside Down City because we want to see God transform the entire city of Boston and we dream big around here, right? So um, we started a, a group that is a closed group. It's not restricted in the sense we just want to keep it focused to people that are really saying, look, like, I desire it and I'm willing to do something about it. So if you want in on some encouragement as we just kind of pray and pray for one another and encourage one another and share resources and ideas, then text one to my cell phone, all right? Number two, maybe say like, I'm kind of new at this or I'm kind of rusty at this. I could just use some, some equipping. I need some help. I need some training. And so uh, we are going to host a training uh, sometime over the next month, okay? Give me a, because I just had this idea this week. I, I need a little bit of time to figure this out. Um, but we're going to host a training over the next month that's going to help people get there, all right? That's text number two. So you can text number one and two, um, my phone receives all digits, okay? So uh, then number three, maybe just say, like, pray for me. Like, I get it. I'm pretty encouraged. I just need some prayer. I can promise you, but with God's help, I will pray for you, not just this week. And then number four, I'm just really hoping that there's someone here that's heard about Jesus and the joy that he died to bring you, and you would say, you know what? I need to just start this journey of joy. And... It's so good that I already know that, that as I'm embracing it, I'm going to want to tell other people about it because we're going to help you too. So whatever it is, one, two, one, and three, one, two, three, and four, um, let's, let's move as God leads us, okay? Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the joyous news of Jesus Christ who loved us in our imperfections. who died to bring us everything we could ever have wanted. God, would you give us your heart? Move us, we pray. Through Christ, amen.